please. Man. Uh, I don't know about you. That was powerful hearing them, those six, share their hearts, their mission, who they are, what they do. Um, I love this day. Thank you for your gifts a few minutes ago. Um, let me try to do just a little teaching over a few minutes. Um, my brother and I, back in 2002, we were given tickets to a Dallas Maverick game. We grew up in Dallas. And uh, usually when we went to games with my family, uh, we, we sat way up in the nosebleeds, yet there was a gift. Someone in our church gave us two tickets on the fourth row, so we dropped everything we had, drove from Abilene to my parents' place, and then went to the game. We were sitting there because we got there really early, and the lady in charge of entertainment came over to us, and she said, would one of you like to be the sixth man for the night? And my brother uh, raised his hand quicker than I did. So um, they said, you know, before the game, we want to bring you down and put a jersey on you. You'll get to meet the players and you'll be in the line whenever we introduce them. And then after the first quarter, you'll have a chance to enter into a competition. And if you win, you could win up to $500. So there before the game, my brother's in this Dallas Maverick jersey. And this is back in 2002. So he's shaking hands with people like Steve Nash and Dirk Nowitzki and Nick Van Exel and Sean Bradley and Mark Cuban. And then they line up in their two lines as they're introducing the starters. And there's my brother right there with them, clapping hands and slapping people. And, uh, and then they get in that huddle before the game, you know, when all the players are bouncing around. And my brother's right there with this all the players from the Mavericks, and he just happens to be standing in between Sean Bradley, who's seven foot six, and Rafe LaFrance, who is seven feet tall. And my brother's six one, so he's not short, but compared to those two dudes, he was he was a small guy. And Jonathan later on he said, I could feel Sean Bradley's armpit hair tickling the top of my head. <laughs> just look up and there it is. Uh, so he's, he's, he's in the middle of all this. And then at the end of the first quarter, they put him down on the court. They blindfold him. They spin him around in circles, put him on all fours. And he had 30 seconds to crawl around on the court. And if he was able to find the guy and touch the guy who was dressed in a Subway sandwich costume, he won $500. He knew he was going in the right direction when the crowd was yelling for him. He knew he was going in the wrong direction when the crowd was booing. And I'm screaming at the top of my lungs because I'm thinking, if he gets it, dude's going to give me a cut. We're in this together, right? Uh, with a half second left, my brother reached up, was able to get the guy in the Subway sandwich costume, won $500. I've never seen a penny of it, all right? But, but there's my brother on the court, like fully participating in all this. And I'm up there watching, but cheering on the best I could. <clears throat> we got home later that night, and my brother, we were there with all our family. And he said, this is the greatest day of my life. And his fiance said, really? <laughs> and Jonathan said, this is the greatest day of my life. And she said, we just got engaged yesterday, all right? But this is the greatest day. All right, so maybe, uh, you know, for, maybe forgot about that, all right? <clears throat> there are times in life when we are called to be spectators, when we're called to sit and watch and learn and participate, and maybe we're yelling and cheering others on, yet when it comes to the kingdom of God, you cannot become a permanent spectator. At some point, you are invited to participate, to enter into the, the game, enter into life, like get in the game, like be a part of what God is doing. Because it, com it becomes way too easy for us just to even look today and be like, I want to cheer on the six of them to the very best of my ability instead of seeing how God is inviting us to partner and to join in and to risk. We're in the series called Risk. I want you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 15. Because when the church was launched, 
they were launched. And what you read in the book of Acts is you see this, you see risk and you see courage and boldness. And they were relentless and they were uh, compassionate. They were courageous. They were contagious. And there was this urgency. Uh, Acts chapter 13 and 14, it's the first uh, missionary journey for Paul. And, and it was great success. Paul and Barnabas, they go on these, this mission trip and uh, people are like mass conversions. A lot of people are coming to know Jesus. Churches are planted. They're raising up elders in the churches. Their persecution breaks out. Paul is stoned, yet they, they leave the mission trip. And there's great joy because there was great success for the kingdom of God. And then you flip to Acts 15. And the first thing that happens is there's this disagreement that broke out in the church. It's Acts chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. Then certain individuals came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you were circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to discuss this question with the apostles and the elders. You see, at this point now, the church and the even authority is growing. It's not just the apostles anymore. There are elders who have been appointed. So, so it, just in those first two verses, they come out of a mission trip. There's a sharp disagreement. And what you have here is this joy sometimes strangles, um, joy is strangled by bickering. What you have sometimes as a church, or maybe even you, you've had moments in life where you are experiencing the fullness of God's love and belief and connection and conviction to the church and through the church, but it can all be damaged by arguments and emotions and whining and people wanting to get their way. All right, so, so right here in Acts 15, like they're coming out of this moment of great joy. We're coming out of a season of Easter. And we don't want to be a church that focuses on the Easter event. We don't want to live for the Easter event. We want to live from the Easter event. We hope Easter weekend is uh, in, intense and joyful and hopeful. But to me, the Sunday following Easter is just as important because what does it mean for us to live this out? <coughs> so when it comes to this disagreement, who's right? Is it Paul and Barnabas or is it the Jews? Now, keep in mind here, I think for these Jews, they're not just Jews. These are Jewish Christians. These are Jews who believe in Jesus. And sometimes we're really hard on them. And if you just read Acts 15 on the surface, you go away thinking, well, I mean, Paul becomes this guy who writes a lot of letters in the New Testament. He has to be right, and the other people are wrong. And then we make, it, we make that group out to be like these, uh, these legalistic people who, uh, these conservative reactionaries, and let me point out a few things, all right? I don't think they objected to Gentiles being invited into the kingdom of God. They didn't object to Gentiles becoming a part of the church. It wasn't about whether the Gentiles are allowed in or not. I think the Jews, right along with Paul and Barnabas, the Jews in this story, these Christian Jews were on board with that enthusiastically. That the borders have been broken down and, and the invitation to come into the kingdom is open to all, to all the world. They can come in, Jews, Gentiles, rich, poor. It doesn't matter. They're invited in. Both are okay with Gentiles being saved and become a part of the family. The issue is what, what commands do the Gentiles need to follow in order to be saved? I think these Jews are Christians and they're all on board with baptism into Jesus and with grace, the grace of God, yet circumcision is a really big deal. 
So when it came to even interpreting Scripture, you have Paul and Barnabas, and what they're saying is, no, what matters now, it's the grace of God, it's the Spirit of God, it's baptism in the Jesus, it's confession in the Jesus, and baptism has become the new form of circumcision. And they had Scripture to prove it. And then you have these Jews who were Christians who were saying, man, we're on board with you. The grace of God, the Spirit of God, baptism in the Jesus, but circumcision still matters because Moses said it did. The law said it did. Abraham was. And if we're going to follow Jesus, Jesus was baptized, so we need to be baptized. Jesus was a servant, we need to serve. Jesus was circumcised. So we need to tell people they need to be circumcised too. And for these Jews who were Christians, they're like, man, Jesus did it, and if we let this slide, then what's next? If we let this one slide, what else are we going to let slide? The Ten Commandments, are they going to go away? So we're just going to pick and choose what parts of the Old Testament we follow and which ones we take. So sometimes we read Acts 15, and we think this is about racial inclusion or racial exclusion. I don't think it's about race. I think Acts 15 is about covenant inclusion. It's about who is allowed and invited into the covenant, and what do you need to follow to be a part of this covenant? And for these Jewish Christians, circumcision was a really big deal. Now, I don't want to go deep into this, but I think it's interesting. You fast forward 2,000 years, I think we, have, we as a global church, the church around the world has gotten much better at covenant inclusion, yet we're nowhere near where the early church was when it comes to racial inclusion. All right, So it's almost the opposite of Acts 15. But look in Acts chapter 15, verse 3, here's what happens. Here's what they decide to do. So they were sent on their way by the church. And as they pass through and they start naming these places, what Paul and Barnabas do is on the way to Jerusalem to talk about this issue, they're meeting with all these other churches full of Gentiles saying, the good news of God has come to you and they receive it with great joy. In verse 6, what you have is the apostles and the elders met together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate. All right, now, for for most of us, when we think debate, we think like presidential debates debates then and even debates in some of your lifetime was a matter of people coming together sharing their views and then afterwards going out and having dinner together i don't know about you when i watch presidential debates now i feel like i need to go take a shower uh i feel like i need to repent it's name calling it's pointing fingers it's blame debate here seems to be this really healthy thing. They listen to each other. They're learning from each other. And then Peter stood up and he said to them, and then Peter's going to share part of his experience. (laughs) What the church does when there's an issue of disagreement is they go to spiritual authority, to the apostles and the elders, and they go there because they trust them to seek wisdom and discernment of what should we do as a church as the kingdom of God spreads. Today, church and leaders uh, do more than manage. Church leaders are not about bureaucratic uh, dictators. Church leaders are called to be people with bold vision, craving hearts, prayerful hearts, people who care deeply about clarity and courage in the face of any opposition. Whatever there may be, we are seeking the Lord and what He wants to be done here. All right, so here's what happens. You have people in that meeting who had experiences with the Spirit experiences with God, and they're sharing these experiences in the revelations that they have had with God and how God's kingdom is expanding, and those experiences and revelations need to be tested by Scripture. Now, sometimes what can happen in churches is we want to test things with Scripture, but we discount experiences and revelation. 
And it's also possible for us to want experiences in Revelation, yet we don't want to test them with Scripture. What happens is Peter stands up, and you have four to five verses where Peter shares, hey, here was my experience. You can read it in Acts chapter 10. Here's my experience of how the Spirit of God gave me a vision to see how God's kingdom is spreading. He had this experience. He shares about it. Then you have verse 12 where Paul and Barnabas begin to share. You don't have exactly what they shared, but they're bearing testimony. They're giving witness to wonders and signs that have been done among the Gentiles. And like, I can just see Paul laying it out there. Look, here's what's happened. Like, like you people, you've got to believe me. I've, I've, seen God. I've seen the Spirit of God at work in Jews and in Gentiles. I've seen God plant churches, win the masses to Christ. I've seen the grace of God spreading all these experiences. And you don't have it in your Bible, but in the Greek, what you have is Paul putting his hand down and saying, take that for data, all right? It's in, it's in the Bible. It's in the Greek, all right? Some of your versions may have it, all right? He just lays it down. I mean, they're sharing all these testimonies of what had happened. And then James, in verse 13, James steps up, and James begins to talk. This isn't the apostle James. He was killed back in Acts chapter 12. Most likely, this is James, the brother of Jesus, who at one point was not a believer in Jesus. You remember earlier in the Gospels when, like, the brothers of Jesus, thinks he, they think he's nuts. They think he's out of his mind. And then you fast forward a few years, and here's James who becomes this leader of the church. In Acts 15, it's James who steps up. And he's like, okay, now you people have heard Peter and you've heard Paul and Barnabas, and you've heard these experiences, and now what James does is he tests it with Scripture. And here's what God says about how this is going to happen, and now it's happening right here before us. And if you look in Acts 15 and verse 19, it's James who says, therefore I have reached the decision. Like This dude has become like the leader, where now he's helping them work through this process of wisdom and discernment. In Acts 15, you don't have anything supernatural that happens. The wind of the Spirit doesn't blow in a way where people could feel it. There were no miracles, wonders, and signs that happened that wasn't God who came with this great fire to breathe over people. Yet it's James who says, I've reached this decision. And later on, he says, the Holy Spirit has led us. The Holy Spirit comes into a group that is seeking after the Lord to give wisdom, discernment, and clarity about what to do. And James says this, in verse 25, 26, he says, We have decided unanimously to choose representatives and to send them to you, along with our beloved Bartimus and Paul, who risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 28 and 29, here are four things they're going to ask. For it to seem good to the Holy Spirit and to us to impose on you no further burden than these essentials that you abstain from. And there are four things. What has been sacrificed to idols? Stay away from blood from what has been strangled, and from fornication. Three of the four have to do with, like, table fellowship. It's like, man, we've got to shrink the demands and the burdens we're putting on people. So the message to the Jewish Christians is, hey, it's time for you to let go of enforcing circumcision on Gentiles. Can you change in that? To know that God's doing a new thing? And then what they're asking of Gentile Christians is, hey, for the sake of table fellowship and for the mission of God, when it comes to sitting around a table, or are there are a few foods you can stay away from for the sake of table fellowship. Because one of the greatest risks of all when it comes to the church is for us to be the community, the heavenly community God has called us to be, is that all of us change at least a little bit. 
Because if we're not careful, we want other people to change and then come be a part of my community. When here it's, hey, for the Jewish Christians, can you change a little? For the Gentile Christians, can you change a little? And all this is not just for good sound doctrine. It's for table fellowship. It's for community. And it's for the mission of God. Because what you have at the end of Acts 15 is Paul and Barnabas going out so the mission of God could spread. We can't just sit around talking about good sound doctrine and orthodox and, uh, and truth. It's, it's the mission of God that's before us. When I preached in Houston before I uh, moved here, it was a church back in 2001, went through the study of the role of women and came to similar conclusions that we have. And we had one man in that church who was dead set against where our elders at that church landed. Yet there was never a thought in his mind to go to another church. And I remember having conversations with him. And he said, Josh, the mission of God is so alive here. It's the mission that trumps other things. And he was a guy who didn't throw a fit on Sundays. If a woman was passing a trade to him, he would take it and he would go on about his life. But it was the mission of God that drove his life. I want the mission of God to drive my life. So Acts 15 lets us see that it's possible to confront and engage in controversy without being destroyed by it. And it also shows us right in the middle of the book of Acts that the purpose of the church is what makes room for table fellowship and community for the sake of the greater mission of God. So what is God preparing you for this week? Where is God leading you? What is God asking of you? It could be a little small thing. Small things matter in the kingdom of God. And we're going to sing a prayer now. Uh, we're going to sing a song now and have a time of prayer before we come around the table. Can I ask our shepherds, if you will, go ahead and get in your place. For our prayer leaders, if you will, take your places. Because today I want you to see, you have leaders around this room who are here to receive you for whatever it, it, it may be. If there's someone who wants to give their life to Jesus to enter into this great covenant, will you come join myself and Phil up here? We'd love for this to be a day where you are baptized into Christ. If there are people who need prayer. We have people you see where they are around this room to receive you for that. Let's stand together.